0: Everyone And welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast where writers sit around drinking tasty beverages to talk about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. There will be rants and raves and ghouls and ghosts and opinions that may not agree but are lovingly delivered. We will not censor ourselves at all, so consider us PG 13, damn it. Your pro fan base today includes Chaz and Karen Brenchley and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 190. Welcome back to Raven Belasco. Welcome, Raven.
1: I'm so excited to be back. Thank you, guys.
0: I am so glad to have you. You were you were our episode 67, I believe, when we were talking about undeath and romance and blood in the first instance, right?
1: Yes, a theme that I continue uh, to uh, hold dear to my heart. I was going to say
0: something. In the spirit of this season, you represent so much that's death and blood and romance and other disgusting things that are so perfect when they're together. (laughs) We never, we never recorded an episode 69 deliberately because I couldn't find anything perfectly juicy enough. (laughs) Would you like me to change your number to go back in time to be episode 69? Would you, would you please? I would absolutely do that. I need to, I'm, I sure I can almost hear my web spider throwing things at me now for making her life hell. Let's do that for funsies.
1: <laughs> I'm I'm gonna get a patch that just says sixty-nine and I'm just gonna wear it with pride.
0: As you should. As you should. It's you know, when you think
1: about sixty-nine,
0: there's some magic that it really is like a yin-yang symbol, just in the way that it's it's devised up there, isn't it?
1: oh absolutely it's it's kind of one of those perfect numbers in the way that the numbers fit together. Um, I actually uh, I do photography as well, and there was one time I was walking past this beautiful old door with the chipped peeling paint and it had this rusted old sixty nine on it and and I got this beautiful black and white shot of it and it's it's one of my favorite shots that I've taken actually.
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. My thought on that is, is you just had something drop over Halloween, and I hope you were all terribly misbehaved out on Halloween.
1: Always. It's the rules.
0: <laughs> you had a book drop, and I kind of helped pre-push it a while. It's called Adventures in Bodily Autonomy, and it's a collection of short stories. It's an anthology, I believe, that you edited, exploring reproductive rights in fantasy, science fiction, and horror this is a book whose time has come
1: it's it's a book that was called for by the times yeah i, I didn't really have any choice it It had to be out there
2: was it was it your you your original idea
1: yeah uh what what happened was um there was you know warning signs that um they were gonna get rid of Roe versus Wade, and I was feeling super freaked out about it, and I was like, what can I do?" You know, and I didn't just want to send like a, you know, a hundred dollar donation over to Planned Parenthood. You know, that didn't feel like I was doing enough. Um, and I, I was kind of like, well, you know, what, what can I do that's enough? And then, uh, like Athena from Zeus's skull, um, you know, uh, the idea just like was like, boom you know let's make an anthology um let's raise some real money um uh, you know more than i could just you know pull out of my pocket
0: exactly and and i think it's worthwhile to say that you are donating the royalties of this one too
1: yes 100%
2: how 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 easy was it to find a publisher for this
1: uh honestly it was easier than um finding the first publisher for my books uh for my my vampire series right. um I think I talked to three publishers before finding uh, a publisher. So I mean in publishing that's like crazy easy.
0: In three. Wow. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I mean I, I did my homework on who I was approaching. I didn't just send it out to everyone. I I I wanted I wanted to stay with a smaller publisher and have a little more control. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, and then there were just a handful of um feminist um publishers and Aqueduct Press was absolutely perfect and happily they agreed that they were absolutely perfect. And uh, I'd been sort of, I'd never done an anthology before. So this was me sort of really uh, boldly going into uh, unknown uh, territory. And so I had been, while I was doing the process of uh, putting together lists of, of authors I would approach and list of publishers I would approach and being like, how do I get the authors on board if I don't have the publisher, but how will I get the publisher on board if I don't have a list of authors already in? Um, so I was sort of all doing that at once. And then I, at the same time, I was cranking out my
2: story to go in it. Oh, you're putting, you're putting, I was going to ask if you were putting a story of your own in.
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, I really, I, I wanted to be all in, you know, just every, every aspect of it. Uh, Cause uh, you know, I'm a masochist and I just wanted to make a massive amount of work for myself.
0: i I was just contemplating of you almost could collect it of saying that these are just stories that already exist within history or legend i mean let's talk about poor medusa the girl gets raped and then they give her snakes for hair so is it is it so she can take vengeance upon men or
1: (laughs) no i I mean that might just be the bonus side effect uh (laughs) Yeah. Well, we can't really imagine what it's like to have snakes for hair. I mean, do, do you, you comb them? Yeah, do you, how do you maintain them? Do they eat their own thing or, you know, do you have to feed each one of them each day? I mean, <laughs> Put
2: mice into your hair.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now there's a title.
0: <laughs> yes, feeding mice to my hair. I like it. I, we saw this in Battlestar Galactica when, you know, in the new season when Starbuck was a chick and suddenly Starbuck was forced to be pregnant. I could hear the shockwaves all across science fiction. So, and and the fandom of the boys were like, wait, what? Because we were used to Dirk Benedict and now we've got this sassy Katie Sackhoff. And then now they forced her into doing something against her will and things changed and That, I think, opened the door for some interesting discussions from some people that might have never even thought about such things.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, when the first Battlestar Galactica came out, science fiction was still very much a boys club. It was. Uh, You know, not that I I didn't love it as a kid, um, you know, growing up. I was super into the Cylons. I love bringing those kinds of issues you know science fiction is of course like one of the best mediums to talk about those things uh you know by setting them in a different time and you know ta- and, and considering how we would deal with them in the future yeah uh, you know, obviously that's the the lens that we can kind of cope with to deal with it in the in the present
2: did you did you think about making the anthology strictly science fiction or was it always going to be science fiction and fantasy
1: i really wanted a to not narrow the range of stories Mm -hmm. um there's you know so much to be done with fantasy and um as as shown by some of the stories in this book um uh, so much to be done with horror as well uh the things Milady learns by jamie go is oh god when she sent it in i nearly fell off my seat reading it like (laughs) so good um and and um, bullet point, uh, which I don't even know if it's science fiction or horror. A lot of these really, actually, you have to like. Some of them are clearly in one genre, and then other ones, they're like, oh, it could be this. It, you know, it kind of it expands.
2: Oh, I love uh, that. So, how did you go about approaching? Well, how did you go about choosing the writers you wanted and then approaching?
1: Well, the first the first thing on my mind uh, was people of color to the front uh, black people and people of color to the front of the list. Um, you know, I wanted to make sure that this was a really diverse collection. And, um, so, you know, just starting to look for writers who, who, who played around in genre. Um, and then after that, uh, it was just people whose writing I liked that I figured out, can't hurt to ask. Um, and the first person to call me back and literally called me was mm. Niecy Shawl. okay? Oh, so I'm just sitting there, you know, doing some work, minding my own business, and there's a call coming in that I don't recognize, and I answer it, and she's like, they, they're they like, hey, it's Niecy. And I was just like, I'm sorry, what, now? <laughs> <laughs> What's happening in that room? And they, they were like, I've got the perfect story for you.
0: <laughs> I, just- I love them. They write some of the funniest stuff about good fantastic fiction, some race, some colonialism, some ableism. I mean, there's a whole lot of whole lot of interesting threads in their stories.
1: And and Queen of Dirt is just off. Uh, I'm gonna just keep saying that about like every story as we talk about the stories. Like I love- talk
0: about the stories, because what we're trying
1: to do here is say everybody
0: needs to go out and buy this thing so that one of these stories is going to speak to you or somebody you know.
1: Yes. Well, that's the the lovely thing about having that full range of science fiction, fantasy and horror. Like there is absolutely something in here for everyone. Um, and the, the joy of, of me saying that as the editor is that all the reviews are coming in are saying the exact same thing. So I'm feeling like I'm, you know, allowing a little pat on the back. Um <laughs> because at the time it was just like, for a long time, it was just super stressful. Like, how am I going to force this thing into reality? You know, how do I, how do I make this thing happen? Um, You know, with with literally no idea what I'm doing. Uh, And and I don't think I realized in the the early stages that it was actually going along pretty fast and smoothly. Um, (laughs)
0: <laughs> you don't realize that you're being unheard of in your speed and decisiveness in
2: the <laughs> publishing industry. Well done, you! Yeah. It, it's really best not to know what you're doing. <laughs> did you Did you get any oversight from 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 Aqueduct?
1: No, they left me completely in charge. Uh, they gave me They gave me some. I, I asked them for a list of their preferred authors to to contact. Um, I wanted them to feel. Like, it was a really solid anthology, and I knew they had a, a good bunch of authors they'd worked with. Um, and, and some wonderful people came in from that. That was kind of the, the, the finishing touches stage where it was just like, okay, we have these stories. How do we round it out? And I reached out to Aqueduct, and they gave me the list, and it was just like, boom, you know, okay, we've got an anthology. You know, almost everyone wanted to be a part of it. I think. So many people I reached out to had felt that same feeling that I had felt of, how do I do more in this situation? So I was just giving them the opportunity to do that.
2: No, absolutely. Were you sent any stories that you felt you couldn't use?
1: There was one that was a retelling of Thomas the Rhymer Mm. and... or or no it it was one of those it was one of the myths Uh, it might not have been thomas the rhymer uh it was it was one of those and the author just didn't realize that so many other people had done it and done it very well and i just had to say like okay um you know it's a great topic and and you know it's an interesting treatment uh but there's just too many of these retellings in the world, like, you know, something a, a little more uh, unique uh, is needed. Yeah. I, I felt bad because at this point, you know, I understand the drive of everyone who wants to come in and be a part of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that one, that, w- that one was one I had to pass on and I, I hope she places it somewhere else. Yeah. Um, I don't think, you know, I actually sent her like a list. I went up to Wikipedia and the the list of people that had retold that myth was so long that even I didn't know all those versions. Yeah. Just like, yeah, maybe you like it's a great story, but maybe you need to retell something that's been retold a few less times.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I liked where Ellen went on her story of Goodnight Moons too. Oh my God. I mean, he's sort of a heart wrencher as they all are in their own ways, but the what happens, you know, why it kind of was a beautiful illustration of why uh certain people that say we should go colonize Mars are just so full of crap they don't even understand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> welcome, welcome to not understanding physics, you idiot. And Ellen gently danced past the gravity and a few other problems, you know, during the idea. But first potty on Mars is magnificent <laughs> and sad and real. Yeah. And that's what I loved about it, was the realness of it. And it really kind of that I love that we put it as second in the anthology because that made it it grounded. And I'm like, this could happen. And yeah. when you do that, it's suddenly then you're reading the rest of the book and all the other stories, no matter how fantastic they are. Ellen has already prepared you for this could happen.
1: Doing the layout, actually, I, I sat down for it and I was just like, okay, here we go. Another, I've never done this before. It's going to be so hard. And it it wasn't. The stories just naturally lined up. Um, okay. you know, like it was, it was so obvious where each had to
2: go. Okay. That's, that's fab. Cause I, I, I had a, I had a collection, a sort of best of published a couple of years ago. And I was in such a tizzy about how to order the, the, the stories. Cause this, you know, this is like a lifetime's work. Yeah. Um, that my publisher paid a friend of ours to suggest a story order for us. And then Karen and I sat down and, No, 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 that's wrong. Obviously, this has to, it was easy. Once Mm -hmm. we had a list that we could argue against.
1: Well, uh, news for people putting together anthologies. Don't worry about that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I think
0: there must be an art to it. And maybe you just instinctively managed it beautifully because I think of, you know, the many, I love short stories. I love collections of short stories. I love, so if you didn't like that one thing, that's okay. You'll get something new the next, although, these were all fun and different but you you the way you kind of settled it you like said here's my introduction on both sides and then here's my queuing up that you need for everything else so you can go weird and format and different in storytelling techniques and all of the different neat ideas and things that you've arranged in that but it's kind of a logical thing that makes it easy to follow that you've given me something. Okay, that was good. I'm ready for something new now. Hey, you throw something completely new and different. And I liked how you did that. For instance, you went from Clages to, and I, forgive me, I don't know how to pronounce Alcala. Yeah. Kathleen Alcala's story. And that it's different. And it's done in a different style, in a different way. And it it kind of in a weird sort of way was right after I finished with this oh, dear God, Ellen has ripped my heart from my body again. <laughs> mm-hmm. She will do that. It's something
1: different. <laughs> that was that was one of the the real bonuses of having chosen to do the multi-genre um, anthology was I I just had that range to play with. You know, it, it wasn't a, a worry of, you know, oh, I'm going to put a story that's too much like another story next to each other. I mean, I couldn't have done that. <laughs> I really couldn't have done that.
2: So you've produced this fabulous and timely anthology. Do you have any ambitions to do it again?
1: I have to have a little while to recover and forget how hard it was to kitten herd, because us authors, kittens,
2: we we do some
1: things on our own time. Uh,
2: I, I once tried to, well, no I once succeeded in shifting a bunch of writers from a library to a pub. You wouldn't think this would be hard, but herding a dozen writers from library to pub, I, 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 I had to go back and forth so many times. It was ridiculous.
1: <laughs> I really wish I had been there for that.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I'm just having a picture of somewhere at the end of it, Chaz rocking back and forth, holding teddy bear very tightly.
2: <laughs> my, my, my teddy bear has seen... Much usage like that,
1: but did you bring Teddy to the pub and you had a pint in one hand and Teddy in the other? That's the
2: question. I didn't have him with me on at that time. Oh dear! Um, I, I take him with me when I travel, but but not when I'm you know, at home, as it were. So you needed me there. That's what I'm for,
1: like <laughs> <laughs> other people.
2: That's for true.
1: <laughs> I, I have a, a stuffed animal. I used to travel as well.
0: You have one other exciting thing here that's happened with Halloween, and I wanted to make sure that we that we touched it because I had a couple of questions. When first we chatted, we chatted about your Blood and Ancient Scroll series, which was Blood Ex Libris, Blood Sinquanon, and Blood Infinitum. And you were relaunching them in Halloween. You kind of mentioned in in when we were chatting back and forth about this that. There were challenges. And would you tell us briefly the story of the challenges a writer can have when you've published something, but publishing companies are coming and going and going and coming. And tell us the story of Blood and Ancient Scrolls in publishing.
1: It It is a saga. Um, I shall try to, to keep it shorter. When I wrote the first one, Blood Ex Libris, I really wanted to make something that that cross genre lines um, and play with both horror slash paranormal, uh, but also have all the aspects of like action adventure, but then also have a really deep historical basis. And for me, that was like, well, you that vampires need all those things um you can't you can't do the vampires without the historical <laughs> they've been around a while they have they have chips on their shoulder from centuries ago that they have to work out so so for me that you know and and I'd seen people talking about how like the books of the future were gonna you know push the boundaries and be multi genre and I was like, yes, I can do this and then I started shopping it around and it turned out that uh, a lot of agents are scared of multi genre books they want something that sort of neatly fits. Uh, in a in a little box that they can you know sell to the publishing company and you know nobody's too stressed out or worried. So it took me five years to place Bloodx Libris, and I was getting a little desperate uh, by that point in time. Um, you know, I was I, I had this real fear that someone was going to just come in and steal the ideas, you know, without knowing they were my ideas, um, and publish something that was so like my book that I couldn't publish it. And so when LMBPN, uh, said that they would publish me, I was just like, yes, let's do it. And they're like, okay, three book deal. And I'm like, oh my God, finally my dreams are coming true. But what I I hadn't realized was they had a, a very different, um, focus with their writing. Uh, their, their authors publish about six books a year and they really, that's the, the, you know, the kind of energy where you make money on, uh, quantity and I always intended to just write one book a year because it takes me that long to do all the research for it and, and you know, write it and edit it and those little details. So, you know, in the beginning it was okay because I had the first book written, uh, by that point in time I had the second book half written. So, you know, meeting a, a tighter deadline for the books uh seemed, you know, doable and it was like, well, you know, after the first three books are done then we'll revisit, you know, deadlines and stuff but I also hadn't realized that the person who read the book only read the first four chapters. Um, yeah. And the sex scenes in the book start in chapter five. (laughs) For me with, with the sex scenes, I wanted them to be integral. Like I didn't just want them to be thrown in there, you know, uh, you know, it's like, oh, we need to put a sex scene in here. Formulaically,
0: there's there's whole genres where you have to be having sex by page thirty two, or you know.
1: Yes, and then like every seventy eight pages thereafter, and that's not what I wanted. I wanted like if there's going to be sex in this book, there has to be a reason why we're doing this, and and that actually beca- really helped shape the the the, amor, uh, the vampires name for themselves, like who they were, um, and and how they vampire. So. When the protagonist is being welcomed into the world of the Ammer, uh, there is a fair amount of sex because reasons, uh, you know, va- valid reasons to the story. Um, and then we go off and we do lots of other stuff. You know, there's plenty of other types of action in the story, but you know, uh, in the first book, there is a section where it's, it's, you know, pretty hot and heavy. And this, Publisher was actually getting away from being kind of a, a Christian publisher, which I did not know at all. <laughs> um, and they were fine with the most explicit violence in the work, but basically it was like you know, then the protagonist, the male and female protagonist, would go to bed in two separate bedrooms, you know, or two separate beds. <laughs> so my books didn't fit, and they didn't know what to do with them. And by the time. I was, you know, I'd written, you know, finished writing book two and we were getting it out. I was like, okay, these aren't getting proper marketing and they won't market it on their main, like the one, one of the big reasons I'd signed with them was they had this huge mailing list, thousands of people on this list. And that's who I thought the books would be sent out to, but because they had sexual content, they weren't going out on the main mailing list. So suddenly I'm this second class citizen and there were even moments where, one of the the person who did the like the reviews and, and interviewed me was like, "Oh well, people can just skip the sex scenes; they can just skip past them."
2: Mm, but they're integral.
1: This is my own publisher saying, "Oh, you should skip yeah. sections of this book when you when you buy it."
2: I have never heard that, and I've been in this industry a very very long time. That's just remarkable.
1: And
0: I was just like, "Well, I don't belong here. I, I I'm just actually trying to picture." Any, I I can't think that I've ever read a vampire book where somebody wasn't, maybe, okay, maybe Martin's Fever Dream, because they were pretty disgusting in that. But that's the only one I can think of.
1: Well, I mean, the vampire, uh, as as we have them now, comes from like the, the fevered sexual pitch of the Victorian era where the biting was standing in for the sexual act you can't subtract sex from vampires really like you know the the earliest myths of them when they're loathsome you know things that come out of the the grave you know we've we've moved past that and we've you know we've had dracula we've had anne rice (laughs) um you know you you can't put the sex back Um, <laughs> I, I was
0: brilliantly up at a uh, steam con in Seattle and it was Carrie Vaughn and uh, another gentleman whose name I forgot, but the question came up of, you know, vampire or werewolf. And I think it was Carrie that Cocteau said, he, do you mean necrophilia or
1: bestiality?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I, it was Carrie who said that. <laughs> I was sure it was.
1: Like, and that's the thing. Like, I didn't think that, my sex scenes were that spicy. They're detailed because I think I should put the same level of detail into a sex scene as I put into the violence. Noosh, the protagonist, you know, is chopping off people's heads. Cause yeah, you have to, you know, get the vampires out of commission, the bad guys, uh, you know. And and there's really vivid descriptions of her battling and and learning how to fight. So for me, it would be weird and wrong not to put the same level of detail into consensual loving.
0: Blocking matters, you know? Yeah. Same so, in a fight scene, the same in a, like, wait, I thought they were chilling wearing underwear. Where did the underwear go? I
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I had, you know, in the years before I wrote this book, I'd I'd been just checking books out of the library and just grabbing paranormal stuff, you know, like, oh, I'll just try this one, I'll try this one. And there was one time I was reading a book and it had, like, a werewolf and, and a sorcerer and a vampire and and this chick. And they were all having sex. And I was like, well, this is... I'm not sure how we all got to be in a cave all having sex, but okay. And then the werewolf shifted. And I was like, well, okay then. Yeah,
0: size queens.
1: <laughs> I was like, wait, nobody... There was... Somebody might have mentioned... Like, I, I'm okay with this, but... I should have had a little warning this was coming up. Like <laughs> So when I wrote my sex scenes, I was like, oh, I'm well within the limits. You
2: know? I was once obliged to write a review of a very, very bad contemporary fantasy novel. And I did point out for the benefit of the readers um, that the heroine literally slept with everybody, including the goat.
0: So there you were, you've got three books out with people that aren't marketing in it and aren't sending the lead. How did you go about getting your rights back to it?
1: Um, well, I decided that it was, it was such a tight writing schedule that it actually forced me to to just get book three out and not really think about anything else except like book three. So I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna meet my deadline, like, you know, with with book three and not fight it and not bring lawyers into to things. And I know they're not going to market it right. So I'm not getting the sales I liked. And in my contract, it said, if you don't have X amount of sales, you can just walk. And I had retained complete rights to the books uh, in the contract. So that that's a clever little cause. Is
0: that standard or is that something you asked for?
1: If you're doing the kind of havesy publishing that this was where, you know, they deal with like getting the cover done and, and getting you out there, well, to some extent, getting you on Amazon and, you know, and, and stuff like that. Um, but they're just doing that aspect of it. So if you if you have a... But you have to do all your own publication, uh, marketing and promotion, I mean, you should definitely be retaining the rights. And if you, if you get a publisher where they try to take the rights and then leave you doing so much of the work, no, know, walk away from that contract.
2: Um, yeah, the reversion rights contracts in traditional publishing have been... A source of disquiet, basically forever. But any decent contract will say, if sales fall below X number a year, then we will deem this book to be out of print and and therefore you can revert the rights. A lot of smaller presses omit that clause, Mm. which is a bad thing.
1: Yeah. Well, I had... Uh, gotten help reading the contract, so mm. I, I knew that was in there, and so unfortunately, I was I was I was in a place where I was counting on it. Like, oh, they're not going to market it well enough for it to sell enough copies for them to to you know to retain
2: the rights. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that is, I mean, it's a plus for you, and at the same time, as being such a minus.
1: Writing the third book, I really had to force myself to focus on the story. And to know in my heart that someday it would get marketed correctly. Because if I thought about the fact that my, that the, the whole company didn't get me, but also at this point in time, I'd, I'd ended up work this with this really antagonistic relationship with, with my editor,
0: mm-hmm. which
1: uh, I cannot recommend to, to anyone. Um, you know, so I knew it wasn't going to get a good edit from her. And then she was angry at me because basically this company, Everyone's writing fast, 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 yeah. fast. And they're just happy to be getting a solid edit, like, you know, with all the punctuation errors and spelling er- typos corrected, that basically she sends back her edited copies, people hit select all, you know, select all, accept, and mm-hmm. they publish.
2: Okay.
1: <laughs> and I didn't... I was never going to do, do that in a okay. million years. And so she was, like, angry at me because she she felt... That she should have, you know, all her edits should just be accepted, and that was done. But then she was doing things like in the first book, uh, I had described one of the characters as voluptuous, and she changed it to skinny. What? And I was like, I don't, I don't think you think that word means what it means. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, she was just kind of angry at me. So I, the pub, the company didn't get me. The editor was rapidly moving to a hatred of me, mm-hmm. and. On the, on the final book, I knew it wasn't gonna get a solid edit, so I worked my ass off to edit it as well as I could. Um, and now I, I firmly believe, like, as someone who's been a writer and an editor, that my book is not complete until it's had another set of eyes on it. Like, I'm a good editor, but editing my own work,
0: nah. You can't. I've said this four times in the last week alone. <laughs> there is there's no programmer that should be allowed to debug their own code. There's, yes. you know, Karen's going to agree with me here. You don't see all your own flaws. You can't.
2: Yep. Sure. It's, it's it's inherent. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I tend to argue with editors probably more than I should. Um, but I still didn't. I, there was this one relationship I had. With a publisher, a major publisher, um, which went sour for reasons not of my making. And at one point he did say, Chaz, would you rather just not be edited? And I was, you know, I was, I was sufficiently sure of myself to say, no, no, I wouldn't. I want, I want otherwise on this. The relationship between author and editor is, Almost as crucial as the relationship between author and agent. And when that goes sour, it can go very bad indeed. So you sound as though you were unhappy with the final texts.
1: Of all of them. I knew Aura. they were I knew they weren't done. They'd gone out into the world, but they weren't ready, and that hurt.
2: So have you have you, have you revised them for this for this re-release?
1: Oh my god, they have been polished to
2: have,
1: <laughs> to have high gloss. Uh, first thing I did was find a good editor and send them to her and say, please <laughs> pretend they have not been edited, go hard." And she just absolutely got me. It was the complete, you know, suddenly reversal of, of the situation where I, suddenly I just had someone I was completely simpatico with. She was in love with the characters and fighting for them just, and, you know, you know, she was on their side and trying yeah. to write them as well as I was and and make sure that their words got across as well as, as possible. Oh God, yeah. Like total tears. Like <laughs> So that was like the you know, after I got out, after I'd, you know, done the legal flaming hoop thing, um, you know, that was like this immediate reward. Uh that's lovely.
2: Um was was the legal flaming hoop thing difficult?
1: It it was the their lawyer just uh, takes herself
2: very seriously, and things were. Did it come to the point where you needed a lawyer if you earned?
1: No, um, I managed. I managed. I, I had someone on on like tap if I needed them. Yeah. But it everything managed to stay, you know, amicable. It just was a little tense because they had never had anyone pull out, and so I think they were a little offended um, that one someone would choose to do this. And there had been things said to me that that I hadn't checked in the in the contract and actually was that was like uh, one thing was I had we had gotten uh, covers made for the books, and mm-hmm. I had been told by by my editor that um I had already paid for those. They would be taking the the proceeds out of my income um, from the books. So I assumed the covers were coming with me, and then it turned out later, you know, it buried in the contract, it was if you leave, uh, the covers remain with the company.
2: Well, um, and, um, um, hang on. They made you pay for the covers, and then they kept them despite not actually having the book.
1: No, it. it they turned out that they hadn't make me. Uh, they hadn't like they sent over proof that they had not taken the the money out for the covers. Okay. Um, <laughs> then they wanted to charge me for the covers. At which point, it was like, oh, you can take those covers, fold them into all sharp corners, and. Mm-hmm. And they were lovely covers. I was very fond of them. Mm, oh, I nice. just wasn't going to give them another cent of my money at yeah. that point um and it was like, well, good luck reusing those covers because they're so specifically for my work <laughs> um, you know so yeah, you guys can just you know sit on these covers that you wouldn't like
0: they will doubtless ai them into something similar
2: but yeah yeah so, yeah.
1: yeah, anyway, that gave me the opportunity to get shiny
2: new covers on um. Yes. And- Oh, just t- tell so, us about the process of getting shiny new covers.
1: I just uh, had a, like a, a period of some days where I wandered around the internet looking at artists and and you know seeing like who might fit, uh, and then I found um, this lovely artist named Quasi, and I contacted him, and he was up for doing the covers. He mm. He had just recently done uh, some work for Disney and uh, Marvel or DC. I can't remember which. And, um, and I was, when he said yes, I was just so super excited. Mm. And um, then I just, I had a huge folder of images and, and, you know, paragraphs from the text with descriptions, uh, you know, and um, (laughs) just sort of, worked through uh what would be on the covers and um uh, they're amazing. Uh the first cover uh you know has the main character and then it's big scimitar coming down um and the, um I actually uh to to keep costs down learned um uh, Adobe InDesign and designed the covers. So the artwork came from him but I actually did the the cover layout myself.
2: Okay.
1: Which I don't recommend actually. Um I I thought I had I was I I'm really skilled in Photoshop and I thought that those skills would transfer over into mm-hmm. InDesign and um that was an incorrect assumption.
0: They they don't. <laughs> Tools are all weird. Well, if you send copies of the new covers if you would like, we would be glad to put them on the episode which will appear on our website which is com. Raven, thank you so much for coming back with us today and Everyone, you got to go out and buy, first of all, that amazing adventures in bodily autonomy. Truly great short stories. And, um, you have a link for us for the blood and ancient scrolls for where we can buy them in the future is I have an old one, but I'd like them to have the new ones with the new covers and the much, and the much tighter edit and the improved editing, because like fine wine, you clearly make things better.
1: (laughs) Um, Oh my God. You make me blush. I will absolutely get those links to you. And also I'm just, I really love interacting with people. So, uh, You know, if there's anyone who has questions about the series or about the anthology, I I love getting email um, or chatting on Facebook Messenger.
0: We will put all of your links out there. Thank you so much for taking the time with us today.
1: It is always a pleasure to to be on Writer's Drinking Coffee.
0: You've been listening to Writer's Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web, Magic, is cast by Drew Schween. And our sound engineer and backup web mummies are Dave Welsh and John Schmidt. Our intro and exit music are performed by the demonic Michael Engberg. You can hear more from him on ManyHatsMusic.com. Our podcast sponsors are Magnificent Halloween Candy, Jackal Designs, The Bean Scene, and Arm Street. And hey, thanks for listening.